0: Welcome into the Husker twenty four seven podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Bruntz, Brian Christopherson here on the last day of June, gentlemen. Did you enjoy the recruiting crunch that is the month of June? Yeah, it, it's the the calendar shifted, right? Like
1: everything in Nebraska used to be all about the game day experience and everything, but it's uh, May and June. It, it's it's time to get some work done there. Yeah,
2: I, I
0: would argue it's been that way for a long time. Like the coaches talk about the game day experience, but what that really matters for is for juniors. Like, obviously you'll still have some official visitors on game day and everything, but you need your unofficial visitors to enjoy the game day experience. So then you can turn around and get a Maverick Noonan or, or whomever, uh, you know, someone that, that came out as a junior and visited. And then by the time it's June of their, of their, I guess, what would be their senior year at that point, then they're ready to go ahead and commit. So, but even just going back to some of those Bo Pelini classes, like with Big Red Weekend, June has always been a pretty prominent month, I think, for recruiting. Um, but it's just even bigger now with uh, official visitors and Nebraska clearly stacking a lot of their, their visit
2: weekends and everything towards uh, the month of June. <clears throat> and you don't need to barbecue to recruit well. Is that what we learned this June? There was no barbecue, I don't believe. There was no barbecue, which is the first time in, uh, what, four years that there hasn't
0: been? I, well, I guess there wasn't one in 2020 either, but uh, maybe they had one and no one got invited.
1: Maybe was, it was a virtual
0: barbecue. I was disappointed that Travis Fisher
1: didn't have a new Nebraska barbecue t-shirt like he had at uh, Friday Night Lights a
0: couple of years ago. Yeah, Uh they have that. Uh, they have that big grill just sitting there. Every time I go through the tunnel and I'm walking by to, to go in for Friday Night Lights, I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, they should just have that thing going. Make a little extra money off of this whole thing. Sell some burgers. <laughs> Maybe that can be. You know, I've 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 kicked this around because I I truly think they have to do something different going forward with Friday Night Lights because the event isn't good. Like as far as an event goes. There's nothing there anymore the way that it used to be. So I don't know that fan interest really is, is big anymore. And the whole thing just kind of feels like an offshoot of any of your other camps. So nothing really separates it at this point. So, I, uh, you know, we, we weren't planning on talking about this topic. But do you guys think I'm crazy that they should either scuttle Friday Night Lights or find some other way to separate themselves with it? Because they're just outside of you know, raking in money from kids around the state who want to work out Memorial Stadium, there's not a lot of value being gleaned from that event anymore. Well, the value, I guess, is,
1: and I don't even know if it's necessarily because it's on Friday night, but, I mean, it's it's kind of your point about the visits in some ways. It's about, like, the sophomores and the younger kids that maybe you get a look at, but it's – and I I think Nebraska is probably a little bit of a victim of its own success too. I mean, Micah Parsons isn't going to be getting off that bus to go run routes, uh, you know, at Friday night lights going forward, probably. I mean, the the air quote star power, I guess that they had with some of the guys from California that came and worked out like that's not going to happen. I don't know what you do. I mean, you're right that it almost kind of feels like another individual camp in a lot of ways. Um, I, I don't know what you do, no. you know. I, aside from, you know, bringing in big names, it, it just seems like, uh, you know, that the camp part of it, it is uh, it's just not as valuable as it used to be.
0: Yeah, and you, I mean, there's not even like there's an atmosphere with it. Like it's it's literally was no different between the pipeline camp and Nebraska's Friday Night Lights camp in terms of any kind of atmosphere. It's just people sitting there. Mostly, I think they would admit bored out of their mind watching some guys run and, you know, catch a few passes and everything else like it is just not. And and these weren't really designed to be spectator events to begin with, but like it just doesn't have any real recruiting cachet to me anymore. Like I, I think Nebraska would be better off doing a barbecue and building towards that, which isn't a public thing, than they would be pretending like Friday night lights is any kind of recruiting thing because they just, I mean, who's the last kid that they've gotten that was a direct result of Friday night lights. I guess Jaleel Martin kind of fits that pattern. So there's one, Um, but there's just, you know, there's just not that much. Maybe it gives you the opportunity to, you know, but you have those camps. Like it's not like you're not able to see Carter Nelson or, uh, Jamez Ross or, or whoever it is that might be on the precipice of getting an offer if they just came in and worked out at an individual camp. I just don't think there's anything that distinguishes it in the way that it used to be.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion on it, to be honest. I mean, I, I think it is one of those things where they it really like five, <clears throat> five or six years ago, just because of the star power they had at one or two of them, I think it sort of set this this standard that is, is hard to reach as far as who you bring in. I do think there's some use, um, in having, you have your visitors in that weekend and they're kind of the big men, you know, on the sideline, like the guys you're, you're really after and they're kind of just taking in what's going on and, uh, you know, they can talk with the other recruits and stuff like that. So maybe there's something there, but I I get your point They They could definitely, uh, tweak it some, but, um, you know, they they also did get a few offers out of it with guys sort of behind the scenes that they worked out that came in. Mickey Joseph had come in, so I don't know. It's it's probably something you're always trying to evolve or figure out what's the next thing, how to take this one step further.
0: I think you just bring back the live DJ and make it a big barbecue. DJ DJ then, Cool, yeah, and then maybe you have one on ones of people fighting over the last piece of steak or something maybe that's what it is that's what the one on ones are it isn't a fake quarterback anymore for the offensive lineman and defensive lineman it's a real stake it's the, the old, winner of that battle gets it it's the old the loser XFL gets a hot yeah look i'm in for that no
1: I, I i that that's a fine idea i i think the stake scrum and you can get a trophy along with the stake that's what you get Uh, I suspect that
0: this is just me sort of being on an Island, but it's just the idea is if you're going to specialize, this is like, it's somehow different than your other camps. I need to see it be different or just like congrats to the kid on getting a special shirt. I guess that feels like they're all three sizes too small, by the way. (laughs) That's kind of an old man take. The the shirts are too
1: tight. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's the only way I think you could probably, aside from your stake idea, I, I think the the thing that other schools have done with some of those camps is, you know, they make it a, you kind of build it as an elite camp. And it's a very small number of guys. Yeah. It's very, but it's, it's really tough, I think, for Nebraska, where they're located to get kids to come in to work out. Or something like that because the truly elite guys are probably already going to have been offered you know a year prior or something like that so i'm not sure what the uh what the easy fix is. maybe your your stake idea is the leader
0: in the clubhouse there i'll run it up the flagpole we'll see where it goes mm-hmm. all right enough about uh camps in the month of june let's get to commitments in the month of june nebraska picked up another one in Maverick Noonan on Friday of last weekend. Uh, I don't think this was a surprise to many, though I, there was some consternation that Nebraska wasn't going to beat out Stanford here. What, I guess, BC is your initial thoughts of Nebraska picking up Maverick Noonan and uh, we'll go from there. <clears throat> well,
2: I mean, I, I just think it's, while well, it was expected a year ago at this time, there was a lot of hand wringing about sort of in-state recruiting, and some guys who didn't even put Nebraska on their short list. And I think we're interested in sort of getting out of town, um, and exploring, and that you know that's fine. That's fine. But it, it was definitely a narrative like, okay, what's going on around here? And I think they've done a good job um, this cycle, sort of erasing that idea that that's just a trend that's developing and at least have, have uh, kind of reset the, the conversation there, you know, because that what the 10 commitments at this moment, is it? And five are in state. Um, that's pretty good. And Malachi Coleman sitting out there if you can put him on top of it all. So I think generally speaking, that's the biggest thing to me because I always kind of expected Maverick Noonan to be in. But I also, with that said, I think we've learned you can't just take it for granted just because the guy has the same area code anymore. I mean, the way recruiting is, we're seeing it more than ever. You know, Nebraska can go into Iowa sometimes and intrigue a guy over there. Iowa can come into Nebraska, do the same. Um, And there's people recruiting Nebraska that didn't used to do it, I don't think, 10 or 15 years ago with all the access to players that everybody has now. Um, so, you know, I, you got to give kudos where it's due to closing the deal on in-state prospects and moving the ball forward on that conversation where even though the win-loss record hasn't been good, um, it hasn't completely uh, deleted your, your in-state recruiting at this point. And now you got to stack the wins up and you hope that you really, in the future, the, the win total sort of speaks for itself when you're recruiting locally and these guys are just excited because they're seeing it right in front of their eyes that there's something happening.
0: Brods, I think you've seen Maverick Union play at least once. Uh, anything kind of stand out from what you recall watching him on the field?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was just a menace um, on defense. And, 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 you know, a guy that you can see a Big Ten type edge rusher is in there. And you know when he committed, he was talking about you know he knows he needs to add weight. Um, he's going to enroll early uh, to kind of get a head start on that. And you know they they've recruited him to kind of be that Garrett Nelson type role of a a guy that can you know be a, a stand up edge rusher, a guy that can also move in and, and play with his hand in the dirt if they need him to, and. You know, for for Maverick, I mean, he's, he's obviously got, you know, the the bloodlines, uh, you know, a, a dad that's a very good football player still looks like he could, you know, get some reps if he needed to. And, you know, I, I think kind of going back to what you guys were asking about or talking about with, you know, kind of what narrative wise, what this means, he was kind of at the intersection of a lot of those narratives that we've been talking about for the last couple of years of in-state kid. Um, you know, a position that is, you know, kind of a, a tough one to recruit to, um, you know, guys, can they play in space? Can they, uh, you know, put on enough weight and, and still maintain their quickness, that kind of stuff. And you, you add in that, you know, this is a, a a legacy recruit who Nebraska had put a lot of time and effort into. And and that, for, for that reason, I mean, it's a it's a really big win to beat out places like Stanford, which I think was, a legitimate contender. You had Iowa there, you know, Michigan state had offered Um, and and they've got a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail too. So I, I I think that for all those reasons, it was a a really important get for Nebraska. And I I think he's also a guy that, you know, I I think really has a high ceiling, maybe a little bit of a higher ceiling than uh, what Garrett Nelson has physically. So I I think that's a, a, a real important get for them.
0: That's a, that's a pretty big comp right there. A higher ceiling than what Garrett Nelson has, uh, can do. Do you mean that just from the athletic standpoint?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think Maverick's got a little bit of a better frame. Um, I I think when you add the weight, I think he's going to be able to, to handle that weight a little bit better. Um, I mean, intangibly, you know, Garrett Nelson, I think is kind of in another stratosphere compared to everybody else on that football team. Um, you know that there's not a lot of guys that are going to go walk out to the numbers and shake and Dominic Insu's hand uh, when when he's there on a on a visit. Um, so I, I just think that uh, you know getting him in was really important, and you know I, I think it's you know sets up for you know if they can get Malachi Coleman, I, I think that really does kind of flip the narrative a little bit on on in-state stuff. And I I've been asked this a couple times. And I'd be curious to know what you guys think, but. Do you think that there's been a tangibly different approach with in-state recruiting in this class than what Nebraska was doing prior, aside from the fact that COVID was somewhat limiting um, and I guess kind of nullified the the local advantage? But it seemed to me like there's a little bit more of an all-hands-on-deck approach with a lot of these in-state kids that maybe there
0: wasn't before. Yeah, I, I think the easiest answer would be that we're seeing more use of position coaches with in-state guys like more direct Um, Donovan Rayola more involved with some of those offensive linemen you know with Nebraska in the past it kind of felt like the in-state recruiter Barrett Rude, regardless of position was still the primary guy for a lot of those people and instead now you have Travis Fisher is involved in Caleb Benning's recruitment more than Travis Fisher had been involved in Avante Dickerson's recruitment at that point. So I, I think they're trying to do a better job of matching up in-state guys with their eventual position coaches where that fits. Mickey Joseph has has taken on a role of wanting to have specific schools that I think he's gonna be recruiting at. Bell West, I mean, is, is one of those. It certainly helps that some of your best wide receivers continually come from the Bellevue West area. Um, so I, I think that there's um, there's certainly that effort uh, to to do a better job, you know, familiarizing themselves with some of that talent early on. I mean, look, they they offered a kid that hasn't even played high school football yet. Christian Jones and Tyson Terry got offers as freshmen. Davon Hall got an offer very early in his career. I mean, they're they're certainly willing if they think a kid, you know, Carter Nelson, a guy that is out in Ainsworth that normally would have taken a little bit longer for his recruitment to take off. Nebraska went ahead and offered. And then you had all these other area schools were basically like, yeah, we need to do this too. And so I, I think that they they've been active and they're now kind of matching that up with more effort from uh, the position coach aspect of things and what they had in the past. So that would be the, the simplest answer that I have to, to kind of give some of it, his relationships are lining up better. I mean, and and I do think that COVID really mattered when you're talking about Keegan Johnson and Avante Dickerson and Caden Helms and Devon Jackson and all of that stuff. I mean, I don't think it was everything, but I do think that it made it harder, uh, you know, for Nebraska to, to just get those kids on campus repetitively to, to help their chances. It yeah. Seemed-
1: it seems like the, the distinction between an in-state and an out-of-state kid is is less th- than what it was. Like, I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at, is it seems like the way that you would recruit a Riley Van Poppel, where you have multiple coaches doing it, that is is more the approach for these in-state kids.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I've talked about this, uh, you know, a lot in the past, like... They need to treat Omaha the same way they treat St. Louis, the same way they treat New Orleans, the same way they treat Miami, where you have a pocket of coaches that are involved in it. Like it it should never have just been Barrett Rood's job to try to go get these kids. Now, when it lines up and Barrett Roode is also the position coach for for you know Ernest Hausman, like that was a slam dunk for Nebraska. Barrett Rude was early on with with Noonan and then that was passed off to to Mike Dawson and Eric Shenander, I think had some involvement there. Like that's where it makes sense. It's not that you take Barrett Roode out entirely, but you know, sometimes like Mickey Joseph is going to connect more with Malachi Coleman than Barrett Roode will. Like, that's just the reality of it. You know, same with Caleb Benning. It's more important for him to have those discussions with uh, you know, with Travis Fisher than it would be Barrett Roode. so it's just, I, I think, you know, you still use your your in-state recruiter to kind of build those relationships with coaches and everything throughout the, the state. But then you deploy the position coach. Like Sean Beckton's is going to be involved with with uh, Carter Nelson. Sean Beckton was involved with, with um, you know, obviously Thomas Fedoni, but also A.J. Rollins and James Carney. So it's not like this is entirely new for Nebraska. It just feels like there's more of an effort to do it earlier mm-hmm. in a guy's
2: career. I think it's also backing up the philosophy Vince Quinta said um, this spring where in the portal era, it's ever more important to have those guys who are maybe in state or within a very tight radius um, where it is going to get tough for these guys at some point in their college careers. And the thinking is in this era where everybody's on the move that It is tougher for guys to necessarily just bounce when families around and they've got all this infested in a program because it's, you know, as part of their livelihood growing up. And so um, not that in-state recruiting hasn't always been important. Of course it has. But that's something that has been stated publicly by, you know, several people on the staff about really nailing that in the portal era. And I think you're seeing uh, that investment into it uh, with what you guys just laid out is it, it's paid off this class, and now you got to keep doing it.
0: Absolutely. Let's uh, let's run through a couple guys that are going to be making a decision before we likely have our podcast again. You have DJ Braswell, the running back out of Georgia. Uh, Nebraska's hosted him for an official visit. They had him on campus for mm-hmm. Junior Day and for a game day. He knows this place pretty well. He navigated. The coaching change from Ryan Held, who made that offer a couple of days before he was, uh, you know, ultimately fired to to Brian Applewhite during the junior day. And he felt like there was no drop off in his interest in Nebraska and Nebraska's interest in him. And so I, I think, um, you know, they have done pretty much what they can in terms of that recruitment. It's just going to come down to is Nebraska where he feels like he's going to have the most success uh, and, and where he wants to be. So. Um, Boston College, the other team to really kind of keep an eye on. He's got Alabama and Oregon in his top four. Those are going to be the the four hats on the table, so to speak. Um, really, it's Nebraska, Boston College, which I don't know. I I can't think of another time where those have been the top two teams in a recruitment. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about this one. And you're talking about a kid from Georgia. So it's kind of, you know, all over there. So, uh, but this could be a big win if Nebraska could land DJ Braswell. I, I still think it's too close to call. I'm not even sure the respective schools involved know at this point here just a couple days out. So credit to D.J. Braswell, who in an era in which there's a timeline for a commitment and everybody seems to know what's going to happen three days before. Uh, I, I don't know that anyone has a real gauge as to what's going to occur on Saturday. So that's one of them. Uh, Barry Jackson is going to make a decision on July 2nd as well. That's a wide receiver that I think a lot of fans weren't sure if Nebraska is going to to take, but he's a he would be a take for the Oscars. I still don't know who he's deciding from. He's recently made visits to Mississippi State, Memphis. Uh, there's another team in there, too, I, I can't think of right off the top of my head. And then, of course, he visited Nebraska with those other Georgia guys um, at the beginning of the month. So Barry Jackson, that could be a decision that goes Nebraska's way as well. And then later on, you have Caden Green, Amir Herring, have scheduled decisions on July 6th and July 7th. Uh, those are two big ones on the offensive line. And, you know, I, I keep saying it. Like, if there's a dark horse for Caden Green, it's Nebraska. I still think it's going to be pretty hard to jump past Oklahoma.
2: Yeah, I think you ran it down pretty well there. Yeah. Uh, you know, those those are the main guys. Obviously, uh, linebacker Dylan Rogers is a guy I think will probably announce at some point fairly soon. I like Nebraska's chances there um, and would be a nice compliment to Hayden Moore. Um, you know, as far as, as uh, Barrett of doing a nice job this cycle. So um, as for the other guys, I, I do think there's going to be a lot. Is Barry Jackson's July 2nd too, right? His announcement. Yep.
0: His is July 2nd and Braswell's July 2nd.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty intriguing day because you're absolutely right, I believe, in that Braswell has uh, done a good job keeping it very uh, with <laughs> tucked inside uh whatever he's thinking and not letting letting that out to a lot of people and uh sometimes people you know think like everybody knows something and like you're there are cases where even the coaches are sort of like I don't know how this one's gonna go up until the last day or so and I I think this might be one of those all right uh any other thoughts here on recruiting
0: before we shift Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That seems like a no. Uh, Actually, I do have one question for BC because I know you caught up with him. Uh, What were your general impressions with with Cameron Lenhart? He was on campus by himself uh for an official visit, the last official visit Nebraska had before the dead period went in, the last official visit Nebraska will have for a high school kid until the games start next September here in Lincoln. What uh what were your takeaways and and is this something that you know he's a he's kind of a hybrid defensive end outside linebacker type.
2: Is this something that can move quickly? I don't I think he's gonna go into the fall. Um he may maybe it'll surprise me. Um, Nebraska is gonna be his only visit of the summer, is what he said on on Sunday. Very mature guy who has um excelled at powerhouse programs. Um, you know, he was up at a powerhouse program in New Jersey, he's originally from that area. So I think Mike Mike Dawson like, you know, uh was in on him when he was a freshman, and that could become useful. Like Mike Dawson has known all about him for multiple years now and now of course um, Len Hart's at IMG Academy and the reason he went down there is he just wanted to play what he thought was against the best competition every time out and he's proud of like who he's gone against and sort of um, how he showed out he's played multiple positions he's been a Mike linebacker he's been on the D line he thinks he's going to be an edge rusher more and more going forward Um, So he's a very versatile player who I think has a frame where he could grow and be used all over your defensive line even, potentially. Uh, But it looks like Nebraska, Michigan State, and Penn State were the three schools he really highlighted. And he wants to make some fall visits is what he said. And so I I took that to mean this is – a more natural recruitment to me in the sense like it feels like everybody's moved it up to the summer with decisions before their seasons. But this is like the old school way of like, and I think I'll take a few visits in the fall on game days and, and then let it play out. But I think Nebraska did a very good job and uh, is right in that. There's no reason they don't have a shot at him. BC,
0: do I get the sense that you prefer the, the old school style of recruiting? where guys just took their visits in late December and January and everyone made a decision at that
2: time? No, actually, no. I usually do like that would be a good assumption on your part that I would like the old thing (laughs) and not the new thing. Um, But this would be a case where I'm fine with this. Um, I would rather have busy Junes and July where the commits roll in and there's a lot of decisions, and I totally understand it. I would do that if I were a kid. I would lock up my spot before my senior season the way it's going nowadays. Uh, but I will take this over the Pelini era of <laughs> January, oh, you, the January. You don't want guys in January? That was a freak show. 13 uh,
1: to 31 days. Yeah, whatever it was. Sometimes,
2: yeah. sometimes it was a fun freak show. I remember when we were at different outlets one time, there was a kid uh, the night before who told you, I can't remember. He told one of you guys like he wasn't going to commit – to nebraska or he was he ended up going to arkansas whoever it
0: was so he <laughs> he told me he was going to commit to arkansas told me that he could that i could just go ahead and publish it and then i published it and then he called me back and he's like actually i don't want you to publish it anymore yeah as if i could just like reach back in time and take it back and i mean i felt terrible but like i you know sure. i i did my due diligence and Like, there was a fair amount of time between our conversation. Like, if he had sent me a text or called me, like, 15 minutes in between our conversation, like, it wouldn't, you know, have been out there. But
2: No, I brought it (laughs) up because...
0: Willie Sykes.
2: Yeah, that's who it was. Yeah, I brought it up because I remember you did your due diligence, and I trusted that at the time. But I had to call one of you guys and be like, hey, this kid is like publicly going on the record with me saying he's – He never committed with Arkansas. Yeah, so I was like, just so you know, it's I was like, I'm not throwing darts at you. It's just like this is what this kid's saying. I remember (laughs) that one. But there was funny – that was like what it used to be like that last month. It was just chaotic, weird stuff like that happening all the time. Yeah, I remember uh, Brunt's had
0: to really talk me into to bringing you on board at 24-7 because I was holding a grudge so long. He was
2: like, yeah, he threw that grenade at me that <laughs> one time about Willie Sykes. Yeah, I just remember in
0: a text, I just said, Willie Sykes situation. I don't know. Well, that,
1: that and the confusion about the callback music with the low rider that was the other <laughs> one. That yeah, Will always be a January favorite.
2: There was a certain co- high school coach who will go unnamed who is uh, music was the low rider song when you called and uh, I had a number to call him and you guys had talked to him more than I had. And I heard this message and I was like, that can't be the high school coach. Like he's, he's a professional. He's answering all these questions. He's not going with the low rider song. So I called you guys to make sure that was the right number. And and indeed it was. That was correct. (laughs) Uh, And. He called me did back a little like, he called me back a little tipsy by the way when he did his interview but kind of fit the vibe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Willie Sykes finished his career with 22 tackles, one interception for a, that he returned for a touchdown playing uh, briefly with Arkansas in 2015 and then finishing his career with Texas Tech in 2017. That's your that's your Willie Sykes update for the day. I'm sure the people have been sitting on this waiting for it forever. <laughs>
2: You have to be a diehard, like, recruit Nick to, like, when we, we say that name, yeah. you, you're you like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that one.
0: <laughs> uh, and since we're in it, I'm just going to finish with this. <laughs> Willie Sykes, one of the reasons that he chose Arkansas over Nebraska is that the business school affiliation at Arkansas with Walmart was really what sold him on the Razorbacks versus Nebraska did not have an affiliation with someone like Walmart, so... I remember having to like write that in his story and being like, "Well, I'm probably never going to write this again." So, thanks, Warren uh, Buffett. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> I'm emptying the book of everything I have on Willie Sykes right now today. Yeah,
1: here we on, knew the uh, day would come. Here it is,
0: <laughs> June 30th, 2022. So, all right, let's switch over to the actual team. And let's get into a conversation about Nebraska's lack of Nori Nuelli for 2022. Um, I think we had an idea that this was coming. Um, It was announced, and I think obviously there's a ripple effect of what does it mean uh, for, for the offensive line. And I guess just to me right off the bat, the biggest thing is he was probably the one guy that you had the most confidence in that you could actually write his name at a spot on the offensive line for the first game against uh, Northwestern. I no longer think that you have a guy that you can just guarantee will be in a specific spot. Now, if Teddy Perhaska is healthy, you have your left tackle. If Turner Corcoran is healthy, he's probably your right tackle unless he ends up as one of the guards, in which case someone else has emerged at tackle. We assume Trent Hickson is going to be the center because at this point, who the hell else is going to be the center? But I mean, the one guy that you could pretty much put in Sharpie was was Nori, and you can no longer do that. I think that's the biggest takeaway I have of all of it, uh, with with him having to sit out a year now um after his announcement on Sunday. What what about or Saturday, whichever day it was? Any anything I didn't cover
2: in there? Any other kind of takeaways that you guys have? Hmm. I think the One of the most important guys in the conversation is Bryce Benhart, actually. I think he, at right tackle, um, needs to be that dude. And there's some skeptics, you know, can he step up and be that guy, just consistent? And I say him because if he could be the right tackle and you felt good about it, Corcoran can go inside and take up one of your guard spots. And I think Corcoran can excel on the interior. And then I think someone like Brock Bando might really come into play on this O line now. I think there's going to be – it's interesting as much as we've talked about some young guys and, you know, the transfers who came in, like Kevin Williams, who could factor in. I think a lot's going to ride on a couple maybe – are they six-year seniors, both of them? I guess they are, and Trent Hicks and and possibly like a Bando, where you need those guys to have Justin Jackson-esque – Uh, senior seasons, and that's a a tip of the cap to, what, 2012 when Justin Jackson was a center for one year and did a really good job. Um, You need that type of play from guys like that and maybe a Ben Hart really uh, stabilizing as well. Um, It's a tough it's a tough deal. I'm not going to sugarcoat the loss of Nuri at all. I, I agree with you. I thought he was the most, maybe one of their most, maybe the most consistent guy last year. And um, that line took a major step forward when he got inserted. And I thought he had a nice uh, pairing with Prohaska on the left side. And now that's gone. And uh, the other thing, while we're on the O-line with Teddy, I'm really big on Teddy, but, I just want to remind people he's only played a third of a college season and he's playing one of the toughest positions in sports, you know, and he's coming back from an injury that he's had a rehab for like eight to 10 months on. It's a, it's a challenge that I, I'm not, it's, I'm curious what they're going to bring out there. Cause they're, they were excited in the spring, but I'll tell you what, this adds to the challenge with the the weekend news last week.
0: Yeah, definitely important to remind people that Teddy started one, two games, finished one and a half games as a starter. Like it's a it's a different wave when you're out there for all 12. Um, Brunts, do you have any other thoughts on Nori? Yeah, I mean, I I think it just complicates things, Um, you know,
1: because like you said, that was the one spot that you would probably feel pretty good about coming out of the spring that you at least had that that puzzle piece in place. And now you know you have the questions still about Teddy's health and his his how ready he'll be, where the heck Turner Corcoran plays, um, you know whether Trent Hickson is the guy at center. I think they they like his long term potential this season. There, um, you know you you don't really have your right guard unless you know Brock Bando steps up and wins that job. You know there's there's options, which I think that's at least the one thing you can say for this offensive line is, you know, maybe they wouldn't have had this number of options a few years ago. But, um, you know, if, if you're talking about getting your best five on the field at the same time, and that's the the coach speak thing to say, you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't even know who, you know, four of those guys would be right now. Um, you know, I, I think Hickson's your guy at center. But beyond that, you know, I, I think you
2: could you could almost kind of just put all the names in a hat and start pulling them out at this point. And not to be a complete Debbie Downer about the old line, because some of these guys who have been in the program for three to five years, um, we we think we have the book on them. But they have got a new coach now, and uh, some are Trent Hicks, and I know is feeding off of that in the spring, like really appreciating what Rilo brought to the table and the fresh start. And so you got to leave open the possibility uh, that Riola really gets something out of those guys. And um, I don't know yet. I mean, th- that's a big job Donovan Riola has, but uh, his room really likes him and responds to him and says how they're getting off the ball 10 yards down the field like they weren't last year and all this stuff. And I know people kind of roll their eyes and say, well, I've heard O line talk like that in the offseason before. Uh, But so you got to kind of balance it with that optimistic hope. Maybe that could be a real thing with also uh, as we go through it and Bruns lays out like there's a lot of moving parts and things. You're just like, I don't know for sure who's here or who's there. And that that makes it very difficult to just have blanket confidence in what it's going to be. Yeah, I. I who
0: like. If you had to guess right now, who do you think replaces him at the left guard spot? Like, do you – you know, I, uh, it's – there feels like they have several options if they could go that way. Is there someone that you think sort of stands out to you already in this regard? I mean, the the wild
1: card to me is, you know, is, is Corker a, tackler, a guard or an interior guy? I mean, that, that that's kind of the the – in the choose-your-own-adventure direction of figuring out what this offensive line work looks like, the first thing is, okay, Which what position is Corcoran? And then after that, if he stays at tackle, I mean, I, I think that's why you went and got a guy like a Kevin Williams, somebody that could uh, come in with some experience and, and give you some competition there. Um, You know, we wrote about Henry Lutofsky on the site. Is he ready to go? I mean, he played – you know, in two games last year, I you know, I, I think maybe you, admit you would kind of err more towards uh, the experience there. I agree. I think Brock Bando is going to be at one of the guard spots. But, um, you know, another guy that we haven't even mentioned is Ethan Piper, who's got a lot of starting experience. I mean, maybe he with a new uh, position coach enters back into the fray there. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I would kind of lean more towards like a Kevin Williams, if it's not going
2: to be Corcoran moving inside with the other pieces looking correct at the tackle spots. I have two spots. I feel confident in predicting that's it. Hickson at center, Prohaska at left tackle, and that's it. And then Bruns Bruns put it well. It's if, if Corcoran's tackle, um, there's like five to six guys all named who, you know, could be on the interior. And I think Bando will be one of them. If, um, Corcoran's a guard that suggests Bryce Benhart is doing what he needs to do. At his right. Tackle to me. And, uh, so that's sort of the flip there is what you do with Benhart Corcoran. And that, that has a domino effect, but there's only two spots. I really feel like I know, I do think Hickson will be the center. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that back in January, you know, I, there was a lot of talk about Turner being the center Corcoran. So, uh, that's, that's sort of been an interesting development, but he had a really good spring and um you know if if and and Trent Hickson's been around the block too i mean Trent Hickson started a season so it's not like you're throwing a guy who's never been out there um but yeah there's a there's three spots i have i'm not very sure about right now do we
0: too often forget about Ethan Piper i mean that's someone that just like Trent yeah. Hickson has starting experience uh has played before there was hope that he could be an interior offensive lineman for Nebraska. I think they tried him out at center and at guard. Um, could it just be as simple as a new voice can unlock something with Ethan Piper that you get the guy that they, they kind of, I mean, it like he played early in his career. I mean, we're talking about a red shirt freshman that uh, they handed the starting range to at times. So uh, there has to be something still there. Uh, but I, I do feel like we've, kind of collectively just moved on from Ethan Piper pretty fast.
2: Yeah. I think we got to at least consider them. And um, there's seriously like six guys on the interior. Yeah, that's a big shot. And so to act like we know on the outside, like, oh, it's these two or three. I I think it's, it's still got to play itself out. And um, it's going to be a really interesting camp in that regard. And if Ethan Piper needs motivation, which he, I'm sure, he doesn't need this as motivation. But Trent Hickson's a good example yeah. of a guy who got in early in his career, then step had to take a multiple year step back in his case, and now look at him, he, he might finish it off strong. Um, was it Sichterman last year? I guess who you know he basically didn't play hardly at all in his career, and suddenly was a starter. So there are guys that they've seen who have had to have patience and and perhaps that that gives them a little bit of hope over there for a guy like Piper. Yep.
1: The other name too, you know, like a Brant Banks has played oh, yeah. tackle. He's played guard. I mean, there, there's those types of guys in that group too, who have played both spots and, you know, I, there's opportunity there and, you know, if something clicks for one of those guys under a, a new position coach. And I think that that, that's sometimes helpful to veteran guys is to kind of reset things a little bit, get a different voice, some different coaching. And, you know, maybe, maybe somebody emerges from that fray that we
0: aren't expecting. Absolutely. All right, let's finish up with uh, a quick conversation on the most indispensable Huskers. We have started the list. There are now five names out there starting from 25 working to 21 uh, these are the players that we have a cumulative uh, agreement on as the top 25. Isaac Gifford at number 25. Brock Purdy at number 20. No, not Brock Purdy. Chubba Purdy at number 24. That would be
2: interesting, though. Breaking news. Yeah,
0: Brock, <laughs> Brock Purdy would maybe move up to number one, right? Like, you know, he would be all a little the higher than in the world. Yeah, he'd be a little higher. That's fair. 23, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. 22, Oliver Martin. 21, Marquise Buford. Uh, So obviously, five guys right there. It's kind of all over the map. I mean, you have two transfer guys, you have a former two walk-ons, and then you have a guy in Buford that uh, Travis Fisher can't not say great things about. So a lot happening there. Is there anybody that you want to talk about specifically? out of those five Michael Brooks.
1: I'll I'll talk about a position group. And I I'll say this first by but by, by saying that this list more than any other time that we've done it has been the was the hardest to put together. Yeah. Because there are just so many unknowns. And the the group that I struggled with the most, and I had both of these guys in the 20 to 25 range, was the wide receiver group and specifically Martin and Garcia Castaneda because both of those guys, I feel like, are are kind of in the same narrative, but for different reasons. We didn't get a chance to see at all during the spring what Garcia Castaneda can do. We've heard from coaches, from teammates, that he's a guy that they're very, very, very excited about. And so where does that kind of put him on the list? I, I threw him, you know, kind of, I think, 20, 22nd maybe. And, you know, Oliver Martin is also kind of on the, in that group too of like, okay, this is a guy that has big breakout potential. We saw it against Illinois and then the injuries hit. And that's kind of been the MO on him his entire collegiate career. But the wide receiver group, aside from maybe Trey Palmer, I feel like there's a lot of guys that could be counted on and will be counted on, but I had a hard time really ranking one above the other in any kind of significant way. So I, I don't know if you guys found it that way as well at that spot or others, but I, I just, uh, when it, when it finally came time to, to put the list together, I was really kind of uh, hard pressed, especially like from 17 to 25 to kind of rate guys.
0: No yeah. BC, your thoughts on the wide receivers are.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, I think at, they're like guys two through six, basically at receiver, you're like, who's better. Like who, Who's two? Who's five right now? And I know some people would argue, oh, they're deep at receiver. I've seen that on our board. I don't know yet. <laughs> I mean, I can't say that. We've we've thought that before, where we've had a bunch of names in the off season, and I think Mickey's going to coach them up and do a good job with them. But we've we've thought like, oh, they're going to have six or seven guys, and let's face it, the last few seasons, a lot of them, Nebraska's had like two guys you really trusted at receiver, you know, and some years it was like one guy. And so that's the big uh, mission to actually have that five or six, but until they do it, I can't say it's a deep position. Um, The list was intriguing in the fact that um, two of us had, we'll get to this later, but two of us had one guy at number one and another had him at number nine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine with that. I, I think it goes to, I think it goes with the exact theme of this list. It's like all over the, like you can make everybody's mind can take it a different direction. Um, in this particular five, I think I was the only one who had Gifford and, nope. and Bruns was the only one who had Purdy. Um, and, uh, I was defending that a little bit on the board for Bruns. So Bruns has to defend his Purdy pick maybe, um, What's your, pur- what's your reasoning for the Purdy pick? I'm fine with it that list. Yeah. Uh, Brock Defend yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean,
1: I, as we sit right now on June 30th, I, I think it's that we, we would probably find consensus in saying that Casey Thompson is probably the leader to start the g- first game against Northwestern. I think I think Purdy is very, very important, though, for fall camp for a couple of reasons. I think he needs to come out those first couple of weeks in fall camp and have a really strong performance because I think it keeps the the pressure on Casey Thompson. I think it at least gives you some confidence that if something happens to your starting quarterback, you have a guy that can come in and play. And the other thing that we need to keep in mind, Nebraska really I don't think has a great great idea of what they have with Chuba Purdy because he only practiced twice in the spring. I mean that that to me, you know when when you're kind of looking too at, at the history of Nebraska's quarterbacks, you know the what is it? Tanner Lee was the last starting quarterback to play every game, and before that it was Taylor Martinez. That quarterback that backup quarterback's going to be counted on at some point. So I think, I think the guy that you would see as the backup deserves to be on that list.
2: Yeah, I, that, I think that's the best argument is that I think Tommy made it through the 2014 season two. I went and looked back at it, but only three times that I found in the last 10 years has Nebraska made it through with one quarterback, which obviously you're hoping they can do, but I mean, that's tough. Um, maybe it helps that maybe they won't run Casey as much. We don't know that yet though. Um, And so maybe that'll help his health. But um, I guess the reason people have reservation is like, is he for sure going to beat out Smothers, you know, as the second guy, he's got to go do that. But I I think having two QBs on on the list is fair. I put Gifford on there uh, myself because I just think he's going to play a whole lot. And he's at that nickel spot. Um, they're going to have options in the next couple of years. Cause I think they can have a bunch of interesting guys like Jaleel Martin and maybe Kane Williams and guys like that who could possibly play it. But right now there's a lot of eggs in the baskets of Gifford and Kalarvich, sort of, you know, together, I think being reliable. And so I think he's pretty important. And then I think Oliver Martin on that list, sort of the reasoning you could for the argument is last season, like, when he was good, healthy for the one game, you're like, oh, that's pretty nice. He could be a nice compliment out there throughout the season. And then when he wasn't, Nebraska's receivers really took a dip, and you saw sort of what it was when they, aside from Toure, uh, where they're kind of missing um, him as another option. And he, I think he's a good route runner and, and will have a solid season. So uh, Buford is the one of the five we listed today, though, that I actually feel – the most confident of. And that's kind of funny because he's a second year guy who hasn't started a game yet, but yet you can tell they believe so much in him and what he's going to mean to this program that he's going to be on this list the next three years, two years, I think.
0: Yeah. I, um, this group of five, it's kind of, a lot of it is a little bit wish casting, right? Like Yep. We think that Isaac Gifford has the ability to to help out in times on defense in certain spots. There's hope that Chubba Purdy can be a good enough backup quarterback that he's reliable if he has to come in. Uh, or quite frankly, there's also the scenario where Casey Thompson is either not healthy, the thumb doesn't work, uh, or not good, and you have to turn to somebody else, and you're hoping that maybe Chubba Purdy can put himself in that conversation we have no idea what the health status of isaiah garcia castaneda is but i don't have reason to believe that he wouldn't be available for the fall oliver martin if he stays healthy could be as talented as a wide receiver as they have but again that's another wish and then i think with buford he's kind of the one where it's like okay based on how the coaches talk about him based on how he put himself in this program just working as hard as he can for whatever he's done He's probably kind of the start of where it's like, okay, you can kind of draw a path to how this guy can be impactful. And it's less about hope and more just your normal linear development timetable of he's gotten to be a little bit older and there's more opportunities that's going to be coming his way. But what all of that to me describes is what talked to right at the onset. Like this is a really tough group to put together this list with because there's so many new faces. I don't know who is being used where or how or why um, there's certain transfers that came in where it's like, is this not going to be a backup? Is he going to be a starter? Does he have a clear path to playing time? Was he someone that they took like a Tyreek Johnson because he was out there, but there's no guarantee he's going to be any good, uh, that kind of thing. So um, it made it it made it made very hard. And, and I think it's reflected right away in those first five names that we just rattled off there. And then I was trying to look back as to who I have um, that – because I didn't have Gifford or Purdy on my list, and I think Nash Hotmacher is one that I maybe included that didn't make it. And I don't know what – without giving away the store here, Brian, because I can't find the email, is Caleb Tanner somewhere else on this list or did he fall off as well too?
2: No, he's going to be on there. Okay. Um, the guy who's not, who we could go over quick, that is interesting – cause I know we all like him is Omar Brown. Um, yeah. I didn't that, know what to do with him. I, yeah. I honestly didn't know what to do. And he's healthy now, I think. And I think I, by the way, I think Garcia Castaneda is too, from yeah. what I have heard. So I, that's good. Uh, but Omar Brown was tough to do it with. Cause he sort of had a back issue that he's dealt with throughout his college career. And yet we've said this on this podcast t- we've, we think he has as good a resume as about anybody. I put his resume up there with O'Shawn Mathis. Like I think yeah. his resume is for what he's done in college football. He has like 140 tackles as a defensive yeah. back.
0: He has seven interceptions. interceptions. As a yeah, freshman. He's, just, yeah.
2: he's yeah. a guy, he's a ball hawk and um, he might be very tough to keep. He thinks he's going to play on Sundays. He believes that in himself and he very well might show he's like a top 10 guy by the end of September but it's hard because what do you do with him? And then you have Tommy Hill, who they really love. You know Quentin's going to start at one of the corner spots. So it is uh, it is tricky when there's 33 new scholarship guys on the roster. All right. Any closing thoughts here?
1: No, I'm just excited that we, we, uh, we covered the
0: Willie Sykes stuff. That was important. <laughs> the, is this podcast going to be labeled Willie Sykes Saga? <laughs> <laughs> that would be – that would probably
1: get some uh, some head scratches. I'd be okay with it. Yeah. But
2: if you labeled it that, and then it just really took off, like you yeah. found that that was like a, people been kind of craving that. And then, like in
0: a few weeks, <laughs> Willie Sykes joins the show and he talks to us about Walmart's management tra- program, and yeah, just makes me feel like a total jerk. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it. It'd be nice to put a cap on the whole thing. It would. It would certainly spice up July. That's for sure. Yeah. All right, well, be sure to check out Husker 24-7. As we outlined, there are some decisions coming up that involve Nebraska, and we're going to have coverage of them one way or another. And so there's also the possibility that guys that don't even have, like, scheduled commitment dates could be popping in there too. So anything can happen in the month of July. Bruns absolutely loves holiday commitments, so there could be one or two coming around the corner. You never know. Just whatever you least expect it. Freedom could ring out for Nebraska, just like it does for America on July 4th. Have a happy and healthy holiday from Husker 24-7. Be sure to check out the website. Plenty of coverage. We'll be back with another podcast next week.
1: Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has...